It is so good to be here this morning. Last week I was down at Crossway Church, and you guys got a chance to hear Bauer Evans, a pastor of our sister church down in actually Plainville now. And um, it was just great to be there, visiting their church, and they send their greetings. God seems to be prospering them and blessing them in His ways, and it was just a real privilege to be here. But it's great to be back home. Love to be with you guys this morning as we look at God's Word together. We're continuing our series entitled Pathways of Grace, where we're looking at the various means of grace that God has given us to walk with God. He's given us a number of these means, and so we're going through this series and we're spending some time right now talking about the essential means of grace of the Word of God. And so we spent one week talking about how the Word gives us life. Apart from the Word, we can't have true life. We spent last week speaking of the practices of reading and memorizing the Word and how that is an important means of grace. And this week I want to talk about an aspect of our experience of the Word that is so important, it's so important that it's directly related to the health of any church. And if you scan history, certainly scan the Scriptures, but scan history, you can observe that every season of revival in church history corresponds pretty much exactly with the revival of this practice. And every season of decline in church history corresponds pretty much exactly with decline of this practice. Every healthy church, I think, behind all that's going on and all the good things, there is this practice going on. Does anyone have a guess on what the practice of the means of the Word is? Prayer would be a good one. I think that is a key one. There are a number of key ones, but what I'm speaking of is the preaching of God's Word. The preaching of God's Word. And that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapters 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. Examining what the Word of God says about the preaching of the Word and how this should function in our lives as a church. So knowing we want to look at the Word, knowing we want God to speak to us ultimately, let's go before Him and pray. Lord, we come before You and we thank You for Your Word. Oh Lord, how rich Your Word is. You teach us so much through Your Word. We just thank You, God. We thank You for this means of grace that You've given to us, the means of preaching of Your Word. And Lord, it comes from You. And so our confidence is is ultimately in You. Lord, You you use Your Word. You, You display Your glory through the preaching of Your Word in earthen vessels. Sinful, weak, limited people like me, God. So Lord, we come before You and we ask You to show us Your glory once again. That You would do the miraculous and demonstrate Your truth through the preaching of Your Word. You would do what's impossible for man. We thank You, Lord. So come and fill us with Your Spirit and speak to us this morning. We pray and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 to chapter 4, verse 5. This is Paul's instruction to his son in the faith and fellow leader, Timothy. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified 
regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet, from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Second Timothy 3, 1, 2, 4, 5. Well, this section of Scripture teaches us much about the Word of God and the importance of preaching. There are some things I want to dive into. But before I do that, I want to kind of back up and give an overview. If we compare this section of Scripture to a feast, a Thanksgiving feast, there are certain aspects I want to jump into. I want to get into the leg of the turkey, so to speak, and so forth. But before we do that, I want to just step back and take a look at the entire passage, the entire feast, so that we might understand what's being said and what are the important aspects. There's much here, much more than can be covered in a day or multiple days of preaching. But let's take a look at the overall picture. What's going on here is Paul has written a letter to Timothy. This is likely the last letter that he writes, the last bit of Scripture from Paul that we have. It's near the end of the life of Paul and and probably he's getting ready for his ultimate execution at the hands of Nero under Nero's persecution. He was in jail earlier. He got out. He probably ministered around in different places then was rearrested. And so now he is facing his death. And as he's facing his death, he's writing this letter to his dear friend, his son in the faith, a key leader. Timothy is serving in an apostolic-type role in Ephesus, overseeing the churches, overseeing the elders and the raising up of elders in these churches. And so Paul writes to him to give him advice, counsel. But also something's going on, I believe, in Paul's life. He's near his death. He's near the end of his life. And those sort of seasons can bring tremendous clarity to someone. As you recognize your days are short, things start to fall in perspective. The things that are most important are highlighted. The things that aren't all that important kind of fall into the shadows. And so as Paul writes this letter, he, I believe, is experiencing clarity and the call on his life and the call on Timothy. He's looking back on his life. He's looking back on Timothy's life. But he's always also looking forward in his own life. He's looking forward to meeting the Lord soon, hearing Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But he's also looking forward to Timothy's life and what Timothy's life might hold and also the life of 
the church, broadly speaking, as well. So there's wonderful truths in here. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, in the last days, this is what it's going to be like. And if you read down, you see that Paul doesn't mean someday, maybe thousands of years after him. He means the days that Timothy himself is living in. Really, Scripture, I believe, teaches that the last days are the days that commence with the resurrection of Christ and the giving of the Spirit. They started there and they will finish, they will consummate on Jesus' return. So we are in the last days. And he says in the last days, things are going to be tough. Things are going to be tough in the church. There's going to be people both within and without the church that that are fundamentally self-oriented. They are fundamentally selfish. They are not interested in God. They are not lovers of God first and foremost, but lovers of self above everything else. Not lovers of people. Now, there are going to be these sort of people. And the characteristics Paul goes through in an almost poetic section describing the people. He keeps on saying throughout that, throughout this section, but for, as for you, as for you, as for you. And so he teaches Timothy that in this context of the last days and all the challenges that he personally will face and all the challenges that the church will face, he calls Timothy to remember His example, Paul's example of of a life lived according to the Word of God and a life lived proclaiming the Word of God. Then he calls Timothy's attention to the Word itself. And he says, Timothy, in light of the last days, in light of the challenges of life, in light of the challenges to the church, what I want you to do, Timothy, is to focus on the Word. And Not only do I want you to focus on the Word, Timothy, but I want you to be one who preaches the Word who declares the truth of God, who declares the truth of God and brings with it implications to God's people. Timothy, if the church is to endure, and endure it will, it will be through you faithfully preaching the Word of God, declaring the truth of God, teaching the people of God, reproving, correcting, and training them in righteousness. Timothy, if you do anything, if you want to see success in the church, and by implication, People of God, if you want to see success in the church, preach the Word of God. That's what I believe this section is about. I believe it's a major theme of Paul's letters to Timothy. And so what I want us to take from this is that we, as God's church, as God's people now, we must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. Our life as a church depends on it. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. Our life as a church depends on it. And I want to talk about four things that go with that. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. The preached Word saves. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. The the preached Word sanctifies. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. The preached Word creates a healthy church. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God by wisely receiving it. It saves, it sanctifies, it creates health. We must wisely receive it. First, the preached Word of God saves. In this section, Paul points to this truth in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In calling Timothy to remember the Word, he tells him, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And then later on in chapter 4, he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist to fulfill his ministry. The Word of God, the, the Gospel, the proclamation of the good news of Christ is what brings salvation. It brings salvation to God's people. And we use that word salvation. It's important for us to understand what it means. Scriptures are to make us wise for salvation. Salvation is that state of being rescued from our present alienation from God. The reality is for humankind, for all of us, we are born into an experience of being alienated from God. It's our default state. Being alienated, separated from Him because of our sin. And we, as sinful creatures, will sin. And we'll be separated from God. And so salvation is being rescued from this present alienation from God and 
rescued from it into a relationship with God that encompasses all of life and all of time for us. All time future. So salvation is being rescued from our sin and alienation to God to a relationship with God that goes on forever. And so the Scriptures are wise, are able to make us wise for salvation. To make us have what we need to experience this salvation. Now God has revealed Himself in many ways. And we can just look at creation and we can see God's power. We can see His nature and His kindness and provision in creation. We can see God to some extent just in creation. But the Scriptures are necessary for us to experience salvation. To understand what we really need to know about God so that we might have a relationship with Him. Creation itself is not adequate, but the Scriptures are more than adequate to make us wise for salvation. Folks seek salvation in our world in different places. They go here and there, try out this and that. Folks go on pilgrimages. They perform great acts seeking to attain to salvation. But the Scriptures testify that the way to salvation is contained in the Scriptures. And more than that, the way to salvation is found in Christ alone. And ultimately, the Scriptures reveal to us Christ. That's how they make us wise for salvation. They reveal Christ. 1 John 5 says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and and this life is in His Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. And then in John 5 says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness to Me. So Christ is the One in whom we have salvation. And the Scriptures make us wise for salvation because the Scriptures are ultimately about Christ. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. I think it's the last chapter. Yeah, 22. They are all about Christ. They reveal Christ. They teach us who Christ is from beginning to end. They declare Christ as the fulfiller of all righteousness. They teach us that Christ is the second and perfect Adam. That Christ is prophet, priest, and king. That He's the Son of David, the true Son of David. The promised Messiah King. He's the true Israel. He's the apple of His Father's eye. The suffering servant. The sacrificial lamb. The willing substitutes. He's our kinsman redeemer, our captain and champion, our victorious risen king. He sits at the right hand of God. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's judge of the living and the dead. He's the elder brother, the first fruit of the new humanity, the eternal word of God. He is Savior and Lord. And the Scripture declares that from beginning to end. Christ is salvation. Salvation is found in Him alone. He is all these things and all the word of God is about Christ. And they make us wise for salvation. And every knee and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Scriptures reveal Christ. And therefore make us wise for salvation. So, the preaching of the Word of God is about preaching Christ ultimately. And through Christ being preached, through Christ being declared, we find salvation. We find this One who is all these things who fulfills all the promises and to whom all glory is due. We must value the preached Word of God. The preached Word saves. Also, next point from this section as well, we must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. The preached Word sanctifies. The preached Word sanctifies. The preached Word is used of God to conform us to the image of Christ. To help us to grow in righteousness. In verse 16 of chapter 3, and I encourage you to look at your Bibles as as we look here, it speaks of this parenthetical thing, statement here. We put the verse of Scripture up on here for your convenience. Some of you may use a different translation. That's to bless you. But in no way do I want to dissuade you from opening up your own Bibles and looking at them as we go through. So I encourage you to do that if you have your Bible with you. If you need a Bible, we have a pew Bible, so to speak, in the back as well. I want you looking at the Scripture because the Scriptures are what make us wise for salvation and what sanctify us. It says in verse 16 of chapter 3, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness. And it goes on to say that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Paul is speaking to Timothy here. And remember the context. He wants Timothy to to be an instrument of the health of the church in Ephesus. And so he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for these things, that the man of God may be competent for every good work. The man of God, the messenger of God, the leader of God's people. He means you, Timothy. Timothy, if you want to be competent to serve God's people, it comes through the Word of God. The, the Word of God is the necessary tools and equipment for you to successfully serve the church. Now, we memorize this verse. It's a great verse to memorize. I think it's in your bulletin as a memory verse. 2 Timothy 3.16 And certainly it has application to all of us. We are all to be students of the Word. We are all to seek to be equipped by the Word. But the thrust here is for the man of God to be equipped so that as the man of God does his work, as the pastor, elder, teacher, leader in the church does his work, he may be thoroughly equipped to serve the church. And that as this person is equipped with the the Word of God, he can, through the instrument of the Word, through the power of the Word, teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness. I don't want us to miss that point. If we want to grow in Christ-likeness, if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to learn to love like He does, to love God the Father like He does, if we want to learn to love one another as, as Jeff shared, like He does, then we must be students of the preached Word of God. We must heed and listen to the preached Word of God. It is the means of grace that God has given to conform us to the image of Christ. And a faithful preacher will have his goal through the Word of God to preach the Word of God, that the people of God, that we might be built up. So do you want to grow? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Have you seen the glory of God in the Son of God? Do you hunger to learn more of Him and to be like Him, then listen and pay attention to the preached Word of God. And this isn't an advertisement for me. This is what the Scripture declares. And whether that's here or another church, the same truth applies. The the Scriptures, through the preaching of the Word, sanctify us. Paul tells Timothy that they're profitable for teaching. Through the Scriptures and through the preached Word of God, we are taught the things of God. And above all, we are taught the things of Christ. We're taught about who He is. We see Christ in all of the Scriptures. We see Him fulfilling all things. We're taught of Christ. We're taught of God's glory in the Scriptures and His goodness. We're taught of God's holiness and love. We're taught through the Scriptures of sin and the state of mankind, the transgression of God's holy laws. We learn of these things in the Scripture. We learn of of the grace of God. We learn of free righteousness. The free gift of righteousness to us through Christ. Through Christ alone. By faith alone. We learn of that as the Word of God is preached and taught. This free gift of forgiveness and being counted righteous in Christ. We learn of the ways of God, the purposes of God to have a people for Himself. We learn of the return and final judgment and establishment of an eternal kingdom through the Word of God. We learn all these things. We're taught through the Word as the Word is preached. In order for us to walk in God's purposes, we must be taught of God from His Word. And 2 Timothy 3 and 4 says, through the preaching of God's Word, we are instructed. We learn of the things we need to learn. So it teaches us. It reproves and corrects us as well through the preaching of the Word. We learn of God's holy truth and His holy standards. His holy truth and His holy standards. And these, this truth and these standards are what ultimately reprove and correct us. They, they, they grab our attention when we're going the wrong way and they say, stop! Wrong way! Do not take this exit! Like those... Signs on the ramps when you go the wrong way. Wrong way, do not enter. The Word of God says, wrong way, do not enter. It reproves us. Don't go this way. Don't do this thing. It also corrects us. It says, don't go this way. It's the other ramp you want to get on God's highway. It's the other way that you're to follow. It reproves and it corrects us. And it does that 
many different ways. Most of the Bible is story. There's stories. And the preaching of the Word should be about preaching those stories and letting those stories have their full weight. Now, much of the Word or a portion of the Word is direct instruction as well. And as the Word is preached in the stories and in the direct instruction, we are reproved and corrected. An example from my own life. I remember vividly a message from the life of Eli that my pastor some years ago preached. I remember it because God used that tremendously in my life to reprove and correct me. Because there were some things in my life that were going on where I was compromising my integrity as a father and a husband. And I remember the story, the message from the life of Eli. Do you remember that story, Eli? Eli was the high priest of God in the sanctuary. And yet, he neglected the care of his children and his sons ran amok. And it's a terrible, sad story because even though Eli seemed to be a godly man, he had this area of his life that he was neglecting and God ultimately brought judgment on him and his whole family and his whole family line. And I remember that message. And I remember the fear of God that came into my heart. And by God's grace, I determined at that point to say no more. I'm not going to compromise in these areas anymore. I'm going to seek help. I'm going to seek the Lord's help in my life. And that was for me a turning point. A point in my life where certain habits that I had fallen into that were sinful habits stopped. I was reproved. I was corrected through the preaching of God's Word. And through the story of Eli. Now, he could have gone to Ephesians 6.4 or elsewhere. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That would have been fine. But the story of Eli's life was used and the preaching of it to change my life. I'm so grateful. So grateful for that. And a faithful man who preached God's Word to me and changed my life. So God's Word reproves and corrects us. It does through story and does through direct instruction. It also trains us in righteousness. The Word trains us. And the preaching of God's Word trains us in righteousness. It trains us in the things of Christ, most of all. As we learn of Christ, we learn of grace. Forgiveness. There's something about grace that puts sin to death in our lives. When we recognize that Christ died for our sins, He paid the penalty. There's no longer any penalty to pay. As we repent and turn to Him, we're forgiven. There's power in that understanding. When we stop attacking sin from a legalist perspective, thinking I've got to grind it out and make it happen, and we realize we're forgiven entirely in Christ, and now we live in Him and live by faith in Him, there's grace and there's power to put sin to death. The power of sin is dealt with. The presence of sin is chased out of our lives as the Word instructs us of Christ. We learn of how to have a relationship with Christ, to walk with Him day by day because we need to abide with Him and to walk with Him day by day to put sin to death, to enjoy new life in Him, to learn to love Him more and love others more. And it's through the Scriptures and through the preaching of the Word that we understand that, that we experience relationship with Him. It's through the preaching of the Word that we learn of, the, of Christ seen through the holy commands in Scripture. Every command of Scripture, ultimately Christ has fulfilled Every command of Scripture is the, ultimately the, a picture of the holiness of Christ. And we learn of His holiness and we learn of what we're called to through the commands of Scripture, through the positive examples of Scripture. And ultimately, we see the holiness and the righteousness of Christ most fully and completely in His death on the cross. And so Paul in Philippians 2, when he wants to instruct the people in humility, where does he point them? He points them to Christ who emptied Himself and was humbled for the sake of others. And he says, look, that's holiness. That's what you're called to. And so Christ trains the Philippians and trains us in righteousness by beholding Him through the Gospel. And it's through the preaching of the Word that we experience that. So the Word saves. The preached Word saves. The preached Word sanctifies. And the preached Word creates a healthy church. And we kind of hit on that in this whole section if you look through it. The problem of, of the last days and the challenge of living in a world that has sin all around and having people in the church who have sin within. 
and the challenge that's there. And so Paul calls Timothy to preach the Word. If you want to see success in your church, Timothy, and in the churches, Timothy, preach the Word. And so if we look at church history, it confirms this, does it not? If you look at all the the moves of God and all the healthy churches and all the great men of God who had impact on their age, on their generation, we see the preached Word of God occurring. Martin Luther being one example. There's a quote there if you could put that up. This is what Martin Luther says, reflecting on the impact of the Reformation. He says, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip and my Amstorf, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The Word did it all. The Reformation came because all of a sudden the Word was restored to the church. And the preaching of the Word was restored. And people were changed. An entire civilization was changed through the preaching of the Word. And if you look down through history, before Luther and after, we see it everywhere. What is the church of Antioch and the church of Jerusalem? What is the missionary work of Patrick and the leadership of Chrysostom? What do the Waldensians and Wycliffe have in common? What does Luther, Calvin, Knox, Bunyan all have in common? What is the Great Awakening? The Methodist movement, Edwards, Whitfield, Wesley, Finney, the circuit riders, Moody, Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, Tozer, Graham, Swindoll, Evans, Piper, Sproul, Keller, MacArthur. What do they all have in common? The preaching of God's Word. And all the health that we see there comes through primarily the instrumentality of the preaching of God's Word. John MacArthur has said, you show me a church where there is strong biblical preaching and teaching, and I will show you strong people and strong ministry. You show me a church where there is weak biblical preaching, and I will show you a church with weak people and weak ministry. That's just how it goes, because the Word of God is the food that makes believers mature and strong. I believe you understand this. I believe you've experienced it. I know I have, and I can point to growth in my life all my progress in the Christian life, all my experience of a healthy church, and it all points back to a faithful man who modeled and preached the Word of God. And through that, I experienced health and growth. And so we must exceedingly value, and I know you do, the preached Word of God, for it creates a healthy church. And finally... We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God. I hope you're convinced from Scripture, from example. We must exceedingly value the preached Word of God and therefore we must wisely receive it. It's not enough to look at 2 Timothy and say, definitely, yes, great. It's not enough to look at the life of Luther and say, yes, exactly, wonderful, true. It's not enough to look at church history and say, yes, that's so true, I get it. It's not enough to do that. And then do no more. For if we do no more, we don't believe it's true or we value something else as more important than this truth. And so we must pursue wisely receiving the preached Word of God. Calvin says, related to this, Now the fact is that the church cannot be built up, that is to say, it cannot be brought to soundness or continue in a good state except by means of the preaching of the Word. So then if we earnestly desire that God should be honored and served and that our Lord should have His royal seat among us peaceably to reign in the midst of us, if we are His people and are under His protection, if we covet to be built up in Him and to be joined to Him, and to be steadfast in Him to the end, to be sure, if we desire our salvation, we must learn to be humble learners in receiving the doctrine of the Gospel and in hearkening to the passes that are sent to us. We must learn and we must walk out the value of exceedingly valuing the preached Word of God. And so, I have four practices I just want to talk about briefly that will reflect hearts that believe this to be true and are seeking to receive the Word wisely. 
First is pray continually. Pray continually. See, while it is true that no congregation thrives without the faithful preaching of God's Word from qualified and anointed men, while that is true, no man can preach faithfully with anointing and remain qualified without the faithful prayers of his people. So, Jeff Prayer is right. That it marks the people of God in revival throughout the ages because a praying people, praying for their leaders, lead to faithful leaders, anointed leaders, qualified leaders. And I am so grateful to you guys for praying for me. And I cannot imagine trying to enter the pulpit on a Sunday without knowing that you guys are praying for me. I can't imagine preaching on a Sunday not knowing or not having experienced what we experience at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning where we gather to pray. And I believe that any success that we experience on a Sunday through the preaching of the Word is because God is answering our prayers. He's answering your prayers as you pray for the preaching of the Word and the declaration of the Word. And folks, if you want to have a wonderful time praying and seeking God, I invite you to join us at 10 o'clock down in the snack rooms. I'm so glad for you guys and for your prayers. And, and I, I truly believe I would not be doing this and any success I enjoy would not be present if it were not for your faithful prayers. I need your prayers. I'm so grateful for them. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, attributed all his success to prayer. This man was a fantastic preacher. If anybody had a right to say, well, yes, it actually came because I know I'm a pretty gifted guy, it was Charles Spurgeon. Yet he didn't say that. A story that Jim Dennison recounts, and you can put that up. A group of American clergy traveled to England in the 19th century to hear the great Charles Spurgeon preach and to tour his church's facilities. After showing them through the massive sanctuary and remarkable buildings, and and Spurgeon had been used of God to grow this congregation from a a dying congregation to thousands of people. So after showing them through the massive sanctuary and remarkable buildings, Spurgeon asked whether they would like to see the boiler room. (laughs) The visitors politely declined, but the pastor insisted He led them to the church's basement, where there he found a hundred people on their faces in prayer. This, Spurgeon said with a smile, is my boiler room. Later, when people asked the secret of his success, Spurgeon said, my people pray for me. They had a hundred people or so during the preaching of the Word on their faces praying for him and for the preaching of God's word. So if we are to value the preaching of God's word, we must pray continually and thank you for doing that. Next, I believe we must listen attentively to the word. No preaching is successful if we don't listen. Not even a half is done if there's no listening. We must listen and Again, you guys do an outstanding job of this. Sunday after Sunday, I look out on a sea of faces or a small pond of faces, and, and all I see is wide eyes and people paying attention and taking in the Word of God. And it is a joy and a privilege to preach to you guys. I love it because you guys are attentive. So I want to encourage you in that. I believe we can develop our habits of listening and preparing for Sunday. If you possible, find out the text. And I will do what I can to give you the text ahead of time. When we're through going through a book, it's obvious. But even when we're jumping into text for different, to address different topics, we still post on, by Friday night the text and the title of the message. So if you want to prepare ahead of time, I encourage you to do that. Just take time to pray and, and visit the text. Check out the website. It will be there on the right-hand side. So you can prepare. I'd encourage you, in order to listen attentively on Sunday, to realize that you're weak, and I'm weak, and that our bodies are attached to our souls, 
And if you come tired, it's going to be hard to listen. And not, not that I see people falling asleep that much, but I encourage you to get to bed early Saturday night. If we value the preached Word of God, we will make sure we get to bed early Saturday night. Unless you're a superman or a superwoman who doesn't need much sleep, I need about eight hours of sleep. So I know I need to get to bed by, I get to bed, try to get to bed by 10 or 11 at the latest on Saturday night. So I'm ready to preach and, and encourage you to do that. I know some of the younger crowd stays up late, but just make sure you get your sleep and prepare your heart. Take time Sunday morning to pray. Pray for the preaching of God's Word. Pray for the time. Prepare. And thank you guys for doing this because not only does God want to meet us through the preached Word of God, He wants to use God's people. And, and there are faithful brothers and sisters who take time to prepare to listen to God to see if there be something to share. So thank you for doing that. So pray and prepare. And if you can, as a family, just take some time. Even just five minutes. Gather everyone together. But guys, let's pray. Let's pray for our experience this morning. Let's pray for the preaching of God's Word. Take notes if it serves you. I don't think you have to take notes to listen well, but I know for me, I do need to take notes because I don't remember things very long. And so I need to write them down to remind myself for later. So it doesn't mean you have to take extensive notes, but take some notes. And on the back of your bulletin is a space to put one point of application. And I would encourage you at a minimum just to write down one thing, one thing from the message today that, that you can apply. If you find your mind wandering during a message, and all of us that happens, matter of fact, my mind wanders like all the time, I'd encourage you to, to pray. Just pray for what you're hearing. Pray for the preacher. Pray for the church. That helps me a lot to focus. If you need to get up and walk back and forth, you will not distract me. That helps you pay attention. Another thing to help in listening is we try to make our messages available online and our goal at this point is to, to have them uploaded by Sunday night. And I need to help Megan, who's been a wonderful blessing to us in doing that. Um, but they're going to be uploaded Sunday night. Download a copy for free or you can get a copy here as well. And listen to the message again during the week to listen and evaluate. So we are to listen attentively. We're to pray continually Another thing to do, if we exceedingly value the preached Word of God and we want all that God has for us, we are to fellowship sincerely during the week. Fellowship sincerely. One thing that would mark the different times of revival in the church is that the people of God fellowshiped and communicated and talked and shared about their lives around the preached Word of God. There was relationship. The church gathered to fellowship around the Word. And so I would encourage you to fellowship. And maybe just start on Sunday, if you drive here with some people, when you drive back home, just to ask the question, and we try to do this as a family, what is one thing God showed you today? What is one thing you learned about God? What is one thing that God highlighted for you? Another good question maybe, if you don't like that one, is how do you think God may be changing you as a result of the message today? How do you think God may be changing you? As a result of the message, you don't have to have it all figured out within an hour of hearing a message. But we want to meditate and think on the things of God and the Word of God. And these sort of questions can serve us. You know, left to ourselves, things go in one ear and out the other. And that's true for all of us. So don't, if, you, if you experience that, you're not alone. I experience that myself. And so taking notes, asking questions, fellowshipping this way can be very helpful and a key means for the Spirit of God to bring conviction and to bring change in our lives. A lot of church, churches will make the message and the application questions from the message a point of discussion in the small groups. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And we as a church, I believe, will be doing that more and more. So in our small group fellowship, we're discussing the Word of God so that we can apply it and experience all God has for us. So seek to fellowship throughout the week as a family and as friends and in the small groups. And I think you guys, again, do this exceedingly well. There are so many times that I remember just having conversations throughout the week as, as you folks share about something God's saying, what He's teaching you from a message, from His Word, and how that's impacting your lives. And many, many care groups I've been in where just spent time confessing sin and repenting together and praying for one another around God's Word. So pray continually. 
listen attentively, fellowship sincerely, and apply specifically. And if the band could come up as we close. If we value, exceedingly value the preached Word of God, we should apply it specifically. Now we're going to spend more time in a week or two. I hope to bring a message on being doers of the Word and not hearers only. Let me just briefly sum up what I think God calls us to. You see, the thrust of God's Word is to produce fruit. God gives us His Word. He sends forth His Word to accomplish His purposes. God's Word is not to return to Him empty and void. It's to accomplish what He wants. God has sovereign purposes through the preaching of His Word. But those sovereign purposes will not be accomplished if His people do not apply the Word. We must apply the Word. We must, by grace, through His sovereign workings, by the power of the Spirit, seek to make application. That is a truth in Scripture. God never makes His sovereignty to override responsibility and thus and vice versa. He is a sovereign God. He has sovereign purposes. His Word will accomplish its purposes. But those purposes will not be accomplished if we do not respond and apply the Word of God. So let's not deceive ourselves. Let us not think that we are pleasing God by merely hearing and not doing. By merely saying that was a good message but not seeking to bring application. A good message isn't one that feels good. A good message isn't one that sounds good. A good message is even not one that is full of good. A good message is one that accomplishes good. That accomplishes good. And that comes through the application of His Word. I'm not, I'm not advocating empty legalism. Don't get me wrong. But neither am I advocating presumption and license. Empty license. We, don't, we want to avoid both. So we must aggressively, without legalism, joyfully seek to apply the Word of God. Without worry of condemnation. The grace of God should motivate us properly to apply the Word. How does that work? Well, I understand the Gospel. Christ has come and fulfilled all righteousness. He did everything that mankind was supposed to do. He accomplished it already. He pleased the Father in every way. And not only that, He bore my sins, every shortcoming, every failure of mine to conform to God's good purposes, He bore and paid the penalty on the cross. And now through faith in Him, united to Him, I am counted as righteous as Christ. And all my sins washed away. So I have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose in coming to the Word of God and allowing it to convict us, allowing it to show our sin because our sins are covered. Christ is our righteousness. And so grace should motivate us to joyfully and eagerly, without fear, come to the Word of God and say, Oh God, search my heart. Show me, please. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus is so excellent. And His glory in my life and in the church is so beautiful. Help me. And to come to our brothers and sisters and say, Help me. Help me apply the Word. To seek to be Taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained in righteousness. A few things just to, to hit on. We'll, we'll do more of this later. If you could put up that last slide. Here are seven questions that will help us in application. I know there's a lot of information in this message, so get the CD and listen to it again. As we hear the preached Word of God, there's a few things that we can make application from. Is there an aspect of God to worship? And what I heard today. Is there a truth to believe? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow or avoid? Is there a warning to heed? Is there a teaching to act on? Seven questions that help us in application that we might joyfully understanding and experiencing the grace of God. Aggressively, together, not alone, we can't do it alone, aggressively, together, seek to apply the Word to our lives for God's glory and our good. So let me just review. We are called to exceedingly value the preached Word of God by wisely receiving it. 
We are called to exceedingly value the preached Word of God because it creates a healthy church. We are called to exceedingly value the preached Word of God because the preached Word sanctifies. And we are called to exceedingly value the preached Word of God because the preached Word saves. We are to exceedingly value the preached Word of God. Our life depends on it. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You for Your grace to us. And Lord, we just recognize that we're not here because we're smart. We're not here because we're better than anybody else. We're not here because we've figured it out. We're here learning about the value of preaching Your Word and receiving the preached Word because You are kind and merciful. And You love us. And for some reason, only from Your love and Your counsel, You've chosen to teach us of these things. And oh God, we thank You. Lord, may we exceedingly value the preached Word. May we be a people who who preach the Word. May we be a people who respond to the preached Word. May we be a people who value it. And may You, Lord, be a glorious God who shows forth Your glory and goodness and raises up a people for Your name and brings many, many people to salvation and exalts Your name in the Merrimack Valley through the preached Word of God. Not for our sake, God, though there's so much blessing for us in it, but for Your purposes. And your kingdom to come, we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.